If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're beginning a brand new series of studies this morning uh, that I've entitled Heaven, Our Forever Home. You know, whenever you're planning a trip to go somewhere that you've never been before, perhaps a city that you've never been to before or a country on the other side of the planet that you've never been to before, what, what do you do? Well, you do what I would do. You research it, right? You begin to find out just as much as you can about it. Uh, you talk to those who have been there, who live there, who know all the best spots to, to go and the places to see so that you can get ready to go and then to get the most out of your trip. Well, when it comes to the place called heaven, I've got news for you this morning. I'm not an insider and I don't know everything that there is to know about heaven, but Jesus is and Jesus does and he has given to us in this book everything that we need to know about our forever home called heaven. And so over the next several weeks, four or five weeks, uh, what I'm planning, uh, I'm going to try to answer a lot of the questions that you probably have about heaven. For example, what is heaven like? What are we going to do when we get to heaven? Do babies go to heaven? Do I become an angel when I get to heaven? Will I still be married in heaven? I was thinking on the way up this morning. I'm not sure how some of you all would want to answer uh, that question. But am I going to still be married when I get to heaven? What kind of body will I have when I get to heaven? I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to look good, right? And so these are some of the questions uh, that we're going to be asking and answering over the next several weeks. As a matter of fact, if you have a specific question that you have about heaven, if you'll just send it to me at pastor at myabilene.org, I'll do my best to, to answer your question in one of the upcoming messages. But here's the thing. Everybody loves to talk about heaven and sing about heaven and, and write about heaven musically. Led Zeppelin sang a song entitled Stairway to Heaven. All the old rockers know uh, that song. My generation, Brian Adams sang a song that was just called Heaven. A uh, little bit harder in my generation, but Guns N' Roses talked about uh, knocking on heaven's door. Country fans, any country fans in the room this morning? Can I see your hand? Kenny Chesney uh, sang a song entitled Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. In the other services, I, I mentioned a another song and then I got notice from one of our student pastors pastor doesn't need to mention that song it just shows that I'm the old guy and I have no idea what songs are about right but people are writing in songs about heaven movie wise in recent years we've had uh, other movies uh, heaven is for real 90 minutes in heaven just like heaven so there are people that are asking questions and they want to know about heaven well He the Bible tells us a lot about heaven. As a matter of fact, uh, the word heaven is found nearly 700 times in the pages of your Bible in 44 out of the 66 books in your Bible. In the Old Testament, it is the word shamayim. Uh, in the New Testament, it is the word uranos. Uh, this morning, what I want to do, though, is I want to begin our study looking here into what the writer of Hebrews gives to us in what is known as God's Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have all these heroes and heroines uh, of the Bible, and we're told about all their amazing acts of faith. And that's a really neat thing to, to discover and, to, and, and to, to research. But here's the thing. In, in addition to all these amazing acts of faith that we have for us here in Hebrews chapter 11, all of these heroes and heroines had another thing, something else in common, and that is the fact that they were looking for a better country, a better place, a heavenly city. Look there in Hebrews chapter 11, picking up in verse number 8. If you have made your way there, say, uh-huh. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now drop down to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. It's a lot of confusion about heaven today. Lots of questions. Great deal of misunderstanding. I did some research this past week and I came across a recent Gallup poll that, that says that 69% of Americans believe in heaven but only 59% of Americans believe in hell. And then there's another poll out of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University that found that 48% of U.S. adults affirm this statement, quote, a person who is generally good or does good enough, enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. And so when you put all that together, even among faithful, consistent, knowledgeable Christians, if you were to ask them, what does the Bible say about heaven? What do you know about heaven? Describe heaven. You're just going to normally get answers something like this. It's pretty. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. Streets of gold, pearly gates. Because we really haven't, as citizens of that land, many of us, we have not spent the time and given the effort to learn about the place where we're going to live forever and ever and ever. And so here's what I want to do over the next month or so. I want to show you what the Bible teaches about heaven. Just like if you were going to travel to or move to a city on the other side of the planet, you would want to research and you would want to talk to those who had been there or that lived there. And you would want to find out things like what's the climate like and what's the city like and what are the people like? What do they eat? What do they wear? What do they do for fun? What language do they speak? What kind of currency do they have? These are the sorts of things that I'm going to share with you in this series of sermons. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to lay the foundation. This morning, I'm going to ask and answer about four questions. And there are four things that I want you to see this morning that you really need to grasp and get down really good if you're going to make your plans for the best trip ever. And here's the very first thing that you've got to grasp this morning. Number one, let's talk for a minute about heaven's creator. Heaven's creator. Who's heaven's creator? It's God. That's what Hebrews 11 said. Abraham's looking for a city who had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And so again, whenever you're planning a trip to somewhere that you've never been before, if you're like me, you want to find out something of its history. You want to know when was it founded, who founded it, and why. Well, heaven's history is connected to God's history, and God lives above history and outside of time. God has always been. One preacher put it this way. 
There never was a time when God was not, and there will never be a time when God ceases to be. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The very first verse in your Bible, you read it hundreds and hundreds of times before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that's the place where we need to start here this morning. Because if we're going to understand what we need to understand about this place where we as Christians are going to live forever and ever and ever, I think we need to understand that when the Bible uses the word heaven, it uses it to describe three different places. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about himself, he said, I know a man in Christ who about 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was called up to the, what does it say there? Out loud. Yeah, the third heaven. So there are three heavens. Now, the Muslims say there are seven. No, wrong, ain't wrong. There are three. The Bible says that there are three heavens. You say there are what? Yeah, there are three heavens. You say, well, what are the three heavens? Well, the first heaven is the sky above us. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is where God lives. We see the first heaven by day, the second heaven by night, and the third heaven by faith. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the word paradise to describe the third heaven. And it's a word with Persian roots, and it's the word that basically means a beautiful garden. And it's only used two other times in all the pages of uh, your, your Bible. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus tells the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. In, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus writes a letter to the Christians, the church at Ephesus, and he says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so here you have heaven compared to paradise. Only used two other times in your Bible. And it's a word that refers to a beautiful garden. Now, here's what I want you to know. I don't want you, those Abilene folks, and if you're here today, thank you for being here at Abilene. I say all the time, when you come to Abilene, you ought to get stuff that you, you wouldn't get anywhere else. And you, you could go to any other church in the area, and you're not going to get what I'm about to give you right now because they couldn't give it to you. I know them. They're my friends. They're, they're nice folks. Bless their hearts. <laughs> they just couldn't give you what I'm about to give you right now. So if you take your Bible, are you all ready for this? If you take your Bible and you begin to open up there in the very first pages of your Bible, what you're going to find is that the Bible begins in paradise with God and two people in the Garden of Eden. All the way over on the other end of your Bible, at the end of the book of the Revelation, you're going to find that it ends in a garden with God and a whole lot of folks in paradise. The Bible begins in a garden with God and two people. It ends in a garden with God and a lot of folks. That is the overarching purpose and theme of the Bible. Heaven or paradise is a real place, and the Bible uses many different words, illustrations, and metaphors to describe it. But here's the thing. Every single time we're told about heaven, we're told this. It's God who created it. It's God who made it. 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. And if you look down there in verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 11, again we're told there that Abraham was waiting for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I said it a couple weeks ago. <coughs> a lot of times people will get the idea 
a mistaken idea. It's a wrong idea. They get the idea that heaven is some sort of a mystical, ethereal, kind of dreamy kind of a place where you wear diapers all day long, sit on a cloud, strum heart for all of eternity. Look, can I just say this to you this morning? If that's heaven, if heaven is wearing a diaper all day long, sitting on a cloud, strumming a heart forever and ever and ever, that's not, in my mind, that's not heaven, that's hell, right? No, heaven is not some sort of an ethereal, mystical, dreamy kind of a place where you're going to sit around on a cloud forever and ever and ever and strum a harp. Heaven is a real place. It is a place that is just as real as this place we're in this morning, even more real. One of the things, matter of fact, that I do when I write out my sermons is I always capitalize the word heaven. Why? Because heaven's a place. It's a proper noun. It's just like I would capitalize Augusta or Georgia. I'm always going to capitalize heaven because heaven is a real place. And it is a place, the Bible says, with foundations. That's what Hebrews 11 says. It's a place with foundations. In other words, it has an architect. It has a builder. Just like this building we're in this morning has an architect and a builder. Heaven is a real place with foundations. By the way, this really shouldn't be all that confusing. We make things a whole lot harder than they ought to be, right? This really shouldn't be that confusing because God describes, as you go through your Bible, God describes it several different ways. He describes it as a house in John 14. He describes it as a city in Hebrews 11, verse 10. He describes it as a country in Hebrews 11, verse 16. And so when it, when it all comes together, here's what we understand. Heaven is a real place built by God. It is God's house God's city, God's country, God is the creator of heaven. Amen. Now here's the second thing that I want you to see this morning. Not just heaven's creator, God, but let's talk for a few minutes about heaven's currency. You say, what's heaven's currency? It's faith. So, if you ever travel to another country, you know this, you want to know what kind of currency they use there. Because you might have to exchange your U.S. dollars for shekels or dinars or euros, okay? And so whenever you travel somewhere else, you're going to want to know what kind of currency. Uh, last week, Kim and I were in the Cayman Islands. And uh, you may not know this, but they don't use U.S. dollars down there. They, they use Cayman dollars. Now, here's what I discovered. Here's what I discovered. This Cayman dollar is worth a buck twenty U.S. Now, I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes. So when I saw that Cayman dollar. I, I didn't. So I went there thinking my U.S. dollar is worth a buck twenty in the Caymans. Ain't wrong. It goes the other way, which, by the way, makes my Coke Zeros way more expensive. So, but when you go to the Cayman Islands, you don't have to exchange. You can use your U.S. dollars. You're just going to get back like I have here. You're going to get back these Cayman dollars. Some places you go to, they're not going to use U.S. dollars. You've got to exchange. You've got to exchange them for, again, for euros or shekels or dinars or, or, or something like, or pounds or something like, like that. Well, there's only one currency that's accepted in heaven's economy, and that's faith. That's faith. I was listening to my pastor, Adrian Rogers, preach on it this week, and he quoted Hebrews 11, verse 6, and he says, but without faith. It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So 
Heaven's currency is faith, and we have to exchange something. What do we have to exchange in order to have heaven's economy, uh, currency of faith? We have to exchange our sight. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. And like Dr. Rogers reminded me again on Friday, we have our five physical senses. We have sight, smell, touch, touch, taste, and hearing. But sight is the most important sense. That's why we have to give up or exchange living by our five senses, living by sight. We've got to exchange it for heaven's currency of faith. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way. Seeing is not believing. You ever heard that? Seeing is believing? How many of y'all have ever heard that phrase? Seeing is believing. Raise your hand. You ever heard that phrase? Seeing is believing. No. Seeing is not believing, Campbell Morgan says. Seeing is seeing. Believing is being confident without seeing. When we lived in Ohio, we were just a couple of hours away from the Amish country. They make wonderful furniture. They make amazing breads and those sorts of things. We would go up there and buy furniture and go up there and buy breads and, and pies and those sorts of things. There was an Amish man who was riding a train one day with another guy. And of course, the Amish guy, you can tell he's an Amish guy, black suit, white shirt, big hat. And uh, had to go somewhere evidently. And so this um, guy sitting across from this Amish guy, obviously it's an Amish guy. And so the guy says, hey, are you an Amish? He said, yeah. He said, well, I bet you believe in God. And the Amish guy said, well, of course I believe in God. The guy said, well, I don't. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And the Amish guy said, okay, that's your deal. You do you. And so the atheist said, let me ask you a question. You believe in God? Yep. Have you ever seen God? He said, no. You ever smelt God? No. You ever heard God with your physical ears? No. You ever tasted God? No. You ever touched God? He said, no. And the atheist laughed at him and said, how do you even know that there's a God? And the Amish guy looked back at the atheist. He said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever touched your brain? He said, no. Have you ever tasted your brain? He said, of course not. Have you ever smelt your brain? He said, no. He said, have you ever heard your brain? He said, no. Have you ever seen your brain? He said, no. The Amish guy just kind of grinned and said, well, then why do you think you have a brain? (laughs) Right? That's what the Bible teaches. Think about this. All of those heroes and heroines back there in Hebrews chapter 11, they died without seeing heaven, but they died absolutely confident that they would see heaven. How? Because they saw heaven not with their physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And they died believing that they would see and enter the city that God had created and was constructed, had constructed for them. Look at verse 13. Look what it says there. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims here on the earth. You might be here this morning, and you're one of those folks. You're, you're kind of a, I got to see it to believe it. I got to have proof, evidence. You're one of those folks, I, Pastor, if I'm going to believe it, I've got to have rock rib proof of heaven. Look right here. You will never, let me repeat it, you will never find empirical proof for heaven here on this world. But if you have to see God to believe in God, when you see Him, it'll be too late to believe in Him. 
Kierkegaard put it this way. He said, Christian faith is above reason, not against it. Since the supernatural as such transcends the boundaries of mere reason. Indeed, faith ventures beyond, not against epistemic evidence. Something that makes it supra-rational. The Christian faith is the rational explanation of an irrational or supra-rational experience. And it is irrational because it asserts that there is a reality beyond reason. Elton Triple put it this way. He said, faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. And so if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to exchange your sight. So there's heaven's creator, he's God. There's heaven's currency, it's faith. Number three, there's heaven's course, and it's Jesus. So what do you do when you're planning to visit somewhere you've never been before? Again, one of the first things that you've got to do after figuring out where it is that you want to go and, and again, what it is, you have to figure out how you're going to get there. Can you go by plane? If so, what airline is going to get you there? Can you take a train? If so, where do you get on, where do you get off? Do you have to drive? And can you use GPS or is it going to be so far out in the middle of nowhere that you have to use a map? If you're going to go on a trip, you're not going to go anywhere until you know how you're going to get there. There was a rich man. There was a rich man who died. And he ended up at the pearly gates. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. And Peter says, all right, let me just kind of show you. Let me take you and show you where you're going to live once you, now that you're here. And so this rich man and Simon Peter are walking down the streets of gold. And they're walking past all these beautiful, humongous castles, these gorgeous, large mansions. They go past all these cute little cottages. They finally end up at a dead end. And at the end of this dead end street is a little wooden shack. Looks like it's just about to fall in on itself. And Simon Peter looks at the, looks at the rich man and he says, Welcome home. And the rich man said, What? He said, Welcome home. The rich man looked back at Simon Peter and said, Why do I get this ugly thing when there are so many other mansions I could have lived in? And Simon Peter looked back at him and said, Well, you need to understand, we did the best we could with the money you sent us. Was that a little close? All kinds of jokes about heaven. How to get there. But most of them aren't just misguided, they're misleading. For example, you won't find anywhere in the pages of your Bible Simon Peter standing outside the pearly gates deciding who gets in who doesn't. You won't find that anywhere in the pages of your Bible. Simon Peter can't get you into heaven. Only Jesus can do that, and that's no joke. John 14, Jesus talks about the Father's house and how he's preparing a place there for us. By the way, that's heaven. And Philip is confused, and so he, he's having a problem grasping what Jesus is teaching. And he says, Lord, how do we know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's the thing. There's something like 4,000 religions in the world today. And every single one of them has their own unique, different, special way to make it into the afterlife. Because we live in a diverse, multicultural, pluralistic society that preaches tolerance for anybody and everybody except those that they deem to be intolerant. And there's nothing that the world considers to be more intolerant than this phrase. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Amen. What most people believe is that there are many ways. There are many ways to get to heaven. 
And it's kind of like you're on this great big super highway with all these lanes and, and the Christians have their lane and the Jews have their lane and the Muslims have their lane and the Hindus have their lane and the secularists have their lane and we're all headed to the same direction, the same destination, but we all have our own different ways of getting there. Sounds good, not true. Not true. Jesus said, Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So some will say, well, Pastor, I, I, I just don't think that it I think as long as you're sincere, that's all that matters. I mean, Pastor, don't you really think that, that the thing is, is, is just to be sincere in what you're believing? Look, look right here. If you're wrong and sincere, it just means you're sincerely wrong. I'll prove it. Let's say you want to go to Atlanta. I don't know why you would, but let's just say for the kicks and giggles that you want to go to Atlanta. So you drive down Bobby Jones. How many of y'all know where you're at right now, right? You drive down Bobby Jones, you hop on I-20, and you take I-20 East. If you take I-20 East, are you ever going to get to Atlanta? My, wife, my, my daughter's been driving since like March. She, she knows that. No, if you get on I-20 East and you say, I want to go to Atlanta, and you take I-20 East, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. You're never going to make it to Atlanta unless you turn around. You can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. Might sound like it's narrow-minded, but it's absolutely true. And I'm just going to make this statement, and you can watch it online later if you want to. I want to make it where, where every single person can understand what I'm about to say. Jesus is not one way to heaven. And Jesus is not a good way to heaven. And Jesus is not the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Amen. So there's heaven's creator, that's God. There's heaven's currency, that's faith. There's heaven's course, that's Christ or Jesus. And then lastly, there's heaven's cost, it's paid. Because again, if you're planning on going to a city you've never been to before, or if you're planning on moving to another country on the other side of the planet, and you're, if you get through thinking about where you're going to go and how you're going to get there, you've got to figure up something, how much it's going to cost. For example, let me ask you this. How many of y'all would love to go spend a, a, a month in Italy? Can I see your hands? Why didn't all y'all raise your hands? You're weird. <laughs> if you're going to go spend a month in Italy, the one thing you better do is figure out how much it's going to cost. You say, oh, no, Pastor, that's what they make credit cards for. <laughs> you're, you're the problem. You're the problem. You've got to figure out how much it's going to cost if you're going to go somewhere to another city, another country. So a lot of folks think that if you're going to go to heaven that you've got to earn your way there. The Muslims believe that if you, you obey Allah and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and you get to go to heaven. Or if you die as a martyr, you don't pass go, don't collect $200, you go straight there. You die as a martyr, you go straight there. Mormons believe that if you do all the church tells you to do, you're baptized in the church, obey all the God's commandments, you complete certain temple rituals like marriage, then you can actually become your own God and have your own heaven. And then most religions and denominations believe that if you work hard enough and pray enough and give enough and serve enough and share enough and be good enough, then that's how you get to heaven. Not true. 
Not true. All of your good works won't merit you one square inch of heaven. All of your good deeds. My father in the ministry, James Merritt, put it this way. He said, salvation is not spelled D-O-do. It's spelled D-O-N-E, done. Everything that has to be done has been done for you by Jesus. The price has been paid. It cost Jesus his life, but it's available to you for free. First Peter 1, 18. Peter puts it this way. Peter says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. To paraphrase my, my pastor Adrian Rogers, heaven is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. The price has been paid. Jesus paid it all. All you have to do is say yes in faith to him. People have all kinds of ideas as we wrap it up. People have all kinds of ideas about what their perfect heaven would be like. For a fisherman, any fisherman in here this morning? Can I see your hands? Fisherman, raise your hand. Fisherman. So for the fisherman, it's probably that perfect stream or that perfect lake with trophy fish caught every cast. For hunters, it's the perfect blind with the perfect forecast with a record buck or a limit of birds taken every single day. Beach lovers like myself, Pretty much Grand Cayman last week. Pretty much Grand Cayman. Perfect beach, just enough wind, perfect temperature. Stand up in the water up to your neck. Look down and see your feet. Fish swimming around you. Sand like powdered sugar. Perfect. Can you tell I kind of liked it? Out at West, one of the ladies stopped me and she said, you've kind of got that beach glow about you today. I said, well, our executive pastor said I need to go to the beach about every six weeks so that I look good on TV. How do you like that, right? I think, that's a, I think God's in that, right? For grandmothers, heaven would be all of your grandkids up in your lap all day long, loving on them until it's time to send them home back to their parents, hyped up on sugar, right? You know what you call that? Payback. Look right here. If heaven is something that you can imagine... Or if heaven is just the extension of your best dreams and favorite places, it's not really heaven. Heaven is way better than anything or everything you could ever dream of or imagine. Do you ever ever find yourself dissatisfied with this life? Do you, ever, do you ever catch yourself trying to find it, whatever it is? You want to know why that is? Because Solomon said that God has set eternity in your heart. C.S. Lewis put it better than I could ever put it. He said, if I find myself with desires that have nothing to do with this world then that must simply mean that I was created or made for another world. Remember the Wizard of Oz? How many of y'all remember the girl's name? 
Yeah, Dorothy, thank you. You helped me. I forgot it. <laughs> Third service. Remember, Dorothy has these red slippers. I'm, I'm not wearing red slippers. Not going to happen. Well, maybe if, if Tennessee could beat Georgia. <laughs> no, they're going to be orange. <laughs> so you've got Dorothy and her red slippers. And remember what she would do? She would click her heels, and what would she say? No place like home. We even have that in our own vernacular. You're gone for a while, come back home. You'll do like I do, you'll post a picture. There's no place like home. If you're a Christian here this morning, let me remind you, this world is not your home. Amen. You're not home yet. I was driving in this morning and had my boys with me. And I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in happenstance. I believe in providence. And I'm driving in this morning, and there's an old Mercy Me song that comes on called Almost Home. And I had church in the truck coming here this morning because I'm almost home. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know Jesus. This world is not your home. You're almost home. Our problem is, is that we create our lives so nice, our houses so fancy, our big screen TVs and ice machines and all this. Our problem today is that we try to make this world here nicer than what we would imagine heaven could be. And heaven is far better. And this world is not your home. If you're a Christian, heaven is your home. But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, let me remind you, heaven's creator is God. And heaven's currency is faith. Heaven's course is Jesus. He's the only way to get there. And heaven's cost has been paid for you by Jesus. All you have to do is say yes in faith to Him.